This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit make these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The Eucalyptus Fiber Upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's ALLBIRDS.com code SUPER24. Hi, Pod fans. Max here. Uh, just to say that uh, we recorded Football Weekly at 10 o'clock this morning. Uh, it is Wednesday morning ahead of our second live show in Dublin. Unfortunately, nobody pressed record. Uh, ironically, uh, the first time we were in a room together. <laughs> in a long time and it didn't work so we're back again in the afternoon to repeat the same podcast part one the interview with faker others was recorded on a zoom call so the audio might be slightly lower quality than the rest of the pod but what Faye says is of high quality about the guardian women's football weekly i hope you enjoy the pod Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Lots to catch up on the Women's Euro start tomorrow. We'll look ahead and promote our newly born sister podcast, the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Also today, Ronaldo's not turned up for training again. For the first time, we ask, is he the problem at Manchester United? And is Christian Eriksen the answer? Will Calvin Phillips start for City? How hilariously disastrous could Neymar to Chelsea be? What the hell are Spurs doing? Buying suitable players early in the window. And then AOB, Euro transfer business, Socceroos at the World Cup, Mark Langdon's breakfast plate. All that plus your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, all in front of me in a podcast studio, in the podcast studios in Dublin, Barry Glendenning, your homecoming gig last night. You are loved here, aren't you? Yeah, it's quite extraordinary, Max, um, but it is, it's lovely to be here in Dublin. It's lovely to be all in the same room together. Although we were in the same room together earlier while you were all eating big breakfasts, dirty fry-ups. Sat on a step, having a cigarette. Mark Langdon from the Racing Post, welcome. Hello, Max. Are you well? I am, yeah. I'm um, surprisingly sort of uh, energised after you know, last night went on a little bit longer than I was expecting. But thank you to the, 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 the guy across the bar who um, sent me some bacon fries. Um, <laughs> anonymously. Anonymously. Um, just got a tap on the shoulder from the barman. Uh, we said, that guy over there has bought you some bacon fries, and uh, they, were, they were delightful. Hello, Jonathan Wilson. Morning, how are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. Um, all right, also, Faye Carruthers joins us uh, live from the mean streets of Wimbledon. Hey, Faye. <laughs> hey, how are you doing? Very good. Uh, with your little one in the background, uh, good morning. Yeah, to, I'm so uh, sorry about that. And no, don't apologise. Well, and he's making me know he's hungry. All <laughs> oh, right. I mean, do you, I mean, do you need to feed him now, Faye, or, or, or I, are you happy I, well, to chat women's right heroes? I, th- I, okay. I think, you know, he needs, he needs to learn that he doesn't always get what he wants just because he screams for oh, it. Right. So. Oh, why not? Oh, that Good. makes me sound like a really terrible mother, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Just let him cry out, Faye. It'll be fine. Anyway, so look, the women, uh, Guardian Women's Football Weekly started yesterday. Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, I, I sort of, I guess I probably know what the premise of it is. <laughs> really does what it says on the tin, but how much do you enjoy it? How much are you looking forward to the Women's Euros? And, and, and it's really good, I think, that the Guardian are doing this podcast. Oh, absolutely it is. It's, it's been something, you know, we've covered women's football on the podcast for, for a while now. But as you know, Susie Rack 
is a phenomenal women's football journalist and to get more stories out via the guardian on the podcast is fantastic and what better way to, to launch it than with the women's euros this summer everyone is so excited because it feels as if we've been talking about it for so long because obviously it was postponed from 2021 um, and i remember going to the 500 day countdown to the original euros with phil neville there and jordan nobbs jordan nobbs is injured and phil neville's in america so it's a vastly different tournament now than the one that was supposed to be happening a year ago but everybody's super excited because this england side in particular under serena Wiegmann, are a real prospect and, and could go all the way Hey, I'm, I haven't listened to your maiden episode yet, but I'm curious. Unbelievable. Know, I will, I will. Don't such worry. a company man, Faye, isn't it? <laughs> I'm curious to know, like, is it a similar dynamic to Football Week? Are you in the Max role then, and Susie's in the Barry role? Do you just constantly belittle her for an hour now, <laughs> insult her, make out that she's some sort of slovenly drunken oaf <laughs> who has no interest in football whatsoever? And it's well, just see- mainly the gags, man. I, I am I am much more professional than Max, and I and I give Susie the credit that Susie slash Barry deserves. That's what I do. I, I'm saying nothing, Barry. Um. So so <laughs> there's a lot of hope and expectation for England. Is it misplaced or is it placed? If that makes sense. I was trying to think what the opposite of misplaced is. Is it is? Yeah. Should we should we really believe? Yeah, I would believe it, it's a very very open tournament. Probably the most open Euros that that we've seen and that's because the quality of women's football across Europe has improved exponentially but yes this is a very different side than we've seen in the past I think the stats are with England prior to Serena Wiegmann taking over they'd won four games in in 13 now they're unbeaten in 14 and they've won 12 of those and against really top opposition. They won the Arnold Clark Cup as well, which is obviously a group of friendlies, which is in, in April. Spain and Germany were in, were in that. And um, I, I just think she's brought a ruthlessness to this side that they perhaps didn't have before and a belief in themselves. And of course, the WSL has improved massively this season as well. And, and they've all benefited from that. And these players have been together for quite a long time, bar some of the youngsters who having their first tournament experience, they've gone through the age groups together. So many of these players know each other domestically um, and now internationally as well. And that's going to really help them going forward. And, and Faye, would Spain be kind of the biggest dangers really um, to England at this Euros? I don't think as much as people believe they are, because I think people see how impressive Barcelona are in, in the Champions League, obviously, and assume that Spain are predominantly the Barcelona team and there are lots of amazing Barca players in the Spain team and they have the best player in the world in Alexia Puteas but they're not the same prospect as as Barcelona and actually I think they might struggle because they're in a really really tough group with Germany, Denmark, um, Finland probably expected not to get out of it but it's definitely a three-way tussle and, and Finland could definitely pick up some points as well it's not easy to get out of that group and whoever does get out of that group will potentially face England or Norway in, in Group A if it goes to form and England and Norway get out of Group A. In terms of awareness, I saw Emma Hayes tweeting, you know, a picture of, uh, you know, like a sort of a stand at a news agent of sticker albums and it was all men's football. And she was saying, look, you know, the, the women's Euros is is tomorrow. Why is there not why is this not front and center of this? I saw Treachery's Flo Lloyd Hughes, um, uh, <laughs> who who would turn up on an athletic podcast, saying, you know, out, outside of kind of the women's football bubble, that it isn't necessarily that visible. And I, I thought about that, and I thought, you know, I really, I haven't seen a lot of marketing and pushing of this as I would perhaps have expected. It's really weird, actually, because if you go on Twitter, I mean, yesterday there were. Uh, projections of players on iconic landmarks across the UK. I think Leah Williamson was on Tower Bridge um, and (laughs) Ellen White was uh, across the White Cliffs of Dover. Um, They're on crisp packets, they're on um, drinks bottles and various other things. But perhaps in people whose consciousness isn't, you know, for, for women's football, it's not as visible. But I also remember, to be honest, it's still much better than the World Cup in France three years ago because there was no visibility at all in France. You wouldn't even know there was a major tournament going on over there. I think we've done better over here, but I think it's very difficult that the towns and cities where 
there are stadia being used for the tournament that it's visible elsewhere not so so in the west country for example you know there are no games being played over there so they probably wouldn't know that there's a tournament going on which is poor for lots of reasons i still think it's it's much better i think once the game kicks off on wednesday against austria that there'll be a big surge in eyes on it and attention towards it don't forget we're still kind of in summer holiday mode which is usually what happens with tournaments and until the football actually kicks off we don't seem to always see you know a massive excitement about it but I actually remember in the men's euros last year going into a major supermarket wanting to get myself a panini sticker album for the euros and couldn't find one I could find premier league ones everywhere but not euros ones so I don't think it's just the the women's tournament that suffers that they have sold a phenomenal amount of tickets though uh, Faye that over 80,000 gone for the final already and well over 400,000 altogether, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I can't remember the figures off the top of my head. They obviously keep changing. But yeah, there, there are still some like quieter games that, that haven't sold out. But all of England's matches uh, are apparently sold out. But um, we always wait until we see the final attendances given at the end of the, the game because some of these games we, we hear are sold out and then actually... You know, come the day the tickets haven't been haven't been taken up, and if that turns out to be the case, I'll be very disappointed because there are a lot of people who would like to go to every single England game and haven't been able to because it's been touted as being sold out. So we'll, we'll see once the games kick off. We're expecting a sellout at, at Old Trafford on on Wednesday, and as I say, the other two games for England are sold out as well against uh, Norway and Northern Ireland. But in terms of uptake, it's going to be the biggest Euros that there's been in terms I think it's it's way over double the number of tickets that were sold in the Netherlands in the 2017 edition which the Netherlands won. Um, Faye in terms of England selection Steph Houghton who's sort of been in the heart of the England defence for as long as I can remember has been left out because she she wasn't able to recover from an Achilles injury and achieve full fitness in time reading between the lines I and I could be completely wrong here did, did she kick off a bit being left out or or am I just reading too much into the, the term that Serena Viegman used is she was angry that she didn't go full degrees. Gaza did she well maybe not but, I mean there's, there's varying degrees of anger aren't there Baz <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I you know if you've been captain for eight years you've had a horrible injury um, uh, there's a lot going on in, in your life I can understand mm-hmm why when you've been a huge advocate for for women's football and been the kind of main face of women's football for such a long time that it comes to a a home Euros and you're not selected. And, you know, it's it's very difficult because nobody wants, uh, and and again, I said said this recently on a a podcast and I mean this, I certainly do not mean this disparagingly at all or to call Steph Orton a, a passenger. She's not a passenger, but she's, injured and not fit enough to play and there are very good centre-backs in that team that are fit enough to play and so the only reason she would be taken in my opinion would be to galvanise the dressing room and I don't the think Cody, Serena... the, the Connor yeah. Cody of the, the England women's yeah but, but you know I, I don't think Serena Wiegmann is that sentimental She doesn't have the same loyalty to to these players, perhaps that Gareth Southgate may do, having been with the national team for so long. She only joined in in September. She sees these as football decisions and she made the football decision that Steph Horton should not be part of this squad. Now, if I was Steph, I'd be absolutely devastated and probably angry about it. But you need time in those circumstances to have a real think about it and, and decide what's best for the team. And, you know, she's a, a born leader. And I think once she's been given time, um, she'll have a different viewpoint on it, perhaps. We're going to put your next episode, which I think you're recording tomorrow, right? Into yes. to our Football Weekly feed. But otherwise, because people can, all they have to do is search Guardian Women's Football Weekly, right? And they will find the podcast and it's three times a week. And it's Absolutely. a mix of be- panellists that they know from Football Weekly and new ones as well, I suppose. Yeah, so the opening episode, which which is on the feed now, is myself, Susie Rack, Robin Cowan, and Jonathan Liu, live from Edgebaston. Um, and we've got a great panel as well on, on Thursday when the pod comes out, reacting to that first uh, match between England and Austria. And yeah, we'll be um, three times weekly throughout the tournament. And yeah, it, it is it's very similar in style to... Uh, to Football Weekly because when you've got a fantastic 
podcast led by Max oh, Rushton. Why it. change it? Stop so, it. <laughs> so yeah, it's. Um, well, it, to be it, fair, you didn't change it when uh, when you stepped in, <laughs> did you? <laughs> well said. The, the key is just, to, yeah. If it ain't broke, um, God, I miss so, those puns though. Jimbo was good. Wasn't <laughs> um, so look, I will let you go, Faye. But thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Good luck with the pods. Thank you very much for having me. Speak to you soon. Faker others there uh, on Guardian Women's Football Weekly. And here we are back in the room. Uh, Barry, Mark and Wilson. Uh, Wilson, you wanted to talk about WAFCON. Yes, which is happening at the moment in Morocco. And Morocco won their opening game, uh, 1-0 against Burkina Faso. And that's significant because the WAFCON uh, traditionally has been dominated by West and Central, West, or West Central African teams. There's obviously various cultural issues with women's football in North Africa. And Morocco have made a real effort to develop their their team. So the fact they they played very well in that opening game, I think, suggests there might be some substance of a. You know, they, they they might be delivering on that that investment, and also Nigeria, who have been the traditional power in Wafcon, lost out in the game two one to South Africa. So it could be a much more open Wafcon than we've been used to. Um, and the uh, the men's tournament uh, has been p- postponed by six months due to heavy rain. <laughs> Which was obvious. It was always going to happen. And I do get that CAF have this problem that for the rest of the world, it would be useful if they could play the Cup of Nations in the Western European summer in June, July. But the problem is that is the West African rainy season. Uh, so the, the tournament in Cameroon, I don't even know what year it was in now. What year are we in now? 2022. We are, yeah. It was earlier this year, yeah. but it had been postponed about 18 times for various reasons, partly because of COVID, but partly because they, they accepted that when the average rainfall in for June and Hyundai is 1,400 millimetres, it was impossible to play the Cup of Nations then. And yet they seem to think that Abidjan, uh, Cote d'Ivoire, was going to be okay with 2,200 millimetres of rain in June. Which is more rain. Which is more rain, mm. yes. It's more than 50% again. Um, but there's been flooding in Abidjan this year, and so they've finally decided, yeah, maybe the rainy season isn't the right time to play the Cup of Nations. And it's been pushed back from... June 2023 to January 2024. So, we, we, so we're going to go through all the tedious arguments again about how it interferes with the Premier League season and the Serie A season. But on the plus side, it does not affect my cricket. Excellent. Uh, can I just say to Mark and Barry, uh, that was the second time that John Wilson has done that answer mm-hmm. today. And he was really good. It felt natural, didn't it? So that's the sort of, that's what we need to bring to parts two and three. Because the listeners don't care that we've done this pod before. This is the first time they're getting it. They'll never hear the unheard pod. Since I did it last, I've had a haircut. Uh, it looks lovely, Barry. Thank said, you. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we've all had lunch with Mammy Glendening and Auntie Anne, uh, which, I, which I paid for. They're much funnier than I was expecting. Did you just pay for lunch? Just so you could say on the pod <laughs> you paid for lunch. Pretty much. <laughs> well, it's interesting. You, you mentioned Mark Glendening. It's time now for a message to the Guardian Football Weekly listeners. Oh, no. What have we done? <laughs> from, from Mama Glendening. Here we are. Actually, that's perfect. Could you, if you could just say hi, I'm Barry's mum, and you're listening to the Guardian Football Weekly. Would you do that? Hi, I'm Barry's mum, and I'm listening to the Guardian. You're listening to the Guardian Weekly. Take two. I'm Barry's mum, and you're listening to the Guardian Football Weekly. I'm Barry's mum, and you're listening to the Guardian Football Weekly. Are you proud of Barry? Very proud of him. Yeah. Honestly. Yes, definitely. Do you know that story in Munich? <laughs> no. <laughs> Thank you, Anne. Thank you to Mark Glendening. I could have been worse there, Barry. Yes, you could. She did know the story. Yes. I know yeah. she knew the story. And in fact, your aunt then went, uh, we all have our Munich. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. A line, I believe, first up by Neville Chamberlain. Dance. <laughs> That'll do for part one. Uh, in part two, we'll talk about the transfers that have happened and the ones that might happen. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. (laughs) 
Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, still tickets for the live shows in Hackney uh, and in Glasgow, Friday the 8th and Saturday the 9th in Hackney. The Saturday show is also being live streamed around the world. Go to myticket.co.uk. Um, it was your debut uh, live show yesterday, Mark. Would you recommend it to pod listeners? Um, I had a great time. I don't know if they did, but I, I certainly in- enjoyed it. And a special thanks. Um, we, we went out for drinks afterwards and um, I got a tap on the shoulder from from the barman who pointed in the direction across the bar um, and somebody bought me a pack of bacon fries anonymously. <laughs> and uh, I, yeah, I'd just like to say thank you to that person. I didn't get a chance. It's been interesting spending a day with Mark Langdon. Obviously, we saw Mark eat breakfast and uh, uh, there was a lot of bacon. I mean, it was extraordinary. Yeah. Carry on, Wilson. Well, I mean, initially, I looked at the plate just to see how much meat was piled on there. And there was five rashes of bacon. There was there was a lot of meat. I was surprised. Some vegetables, hash browns. Yeah, I was surprised by the ketchup. But he, as Mark very angrily pointed out, it doesn't taste of tomato, which is true. But then, after after having you know, having taken in the, the, the remarkable spectacle of the amount of meat on the plate, I realized he was holding his knife and fork. I don't want to say the wrong hands, but say the non-traditional hands. Unorthodox cutlery usage. The fork in the right hand, the knife in the left. And then I realised his grip. It's like a pen holder grip. It was sort of it's almost like, like stabbing a, the beast. Well, it was sort of like it? a like a backhand. It was, it was like watching a, a you know a great table tennis player. And you sort of think if I held the if I held the the, the bat the paddle yeah. like that, I, it, it, I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to control. But astonishing. Hey, if control. it works for Mark. Efficiency. I caught up. I was about twenty minutes late um, down to breakfast and still um, you know, managed to get it down quickly. Same for lunch. Yeah, right. absolutely. There we are. And what was interesting about lunch is that we'd, we'd already had a discussion of, uh, of the violation that was a tomato. Uh, and then Mark was served a burger with a tomato in it and, and sh- lettuce. shredded lettuce. And that wasn't on the menu, was it? It did not say the chicken burger came with salad. No. Was, the uh, salad is implied... Fury in his eyes. Fury in his eyes. But it's important to say he managed to scrape every ve- every last vestige of vegetable off the plate, and it was just there in like a pile, the sort of post Langdon vegetable. Barry's mum also said though that she doesn't eat very many vegetables, and she app- approved of my diet. So yeah, there we yeah, go. Yeah. All right. Anyway, um, well, she's proud of Barry. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, um, there's something really fun about having to record this pod a second time because it means for a second time in the same day Barry and then we have to do a live show tonight Barry has to talk about transfer speculation which he fucking hates <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I, look, I don't mind I appreciate I am in a very small minority of people who find transfer speculation incredibly tedious I rather very much prefer just to wait and see I've said before I'd rather if there was a blanket ban on media transfer speculation and then everyone could just turn up at you know their team's ground on the first day of the season and and see who's there who runs out of the tunnel who sits on the bench who's not there anymore you know they could have it in the program um, I mean there, there probably are people who find what they find tedious is you finding transfer speculation yeah, and, tedious and they're welcome to do that <laughs> anyway let's talk about it but anyway they, they're yeah. listening to me say how tedious I find transfer speculation is very avoidable. Avoiding transfer <laughs> speculation is is quite difficult. Let's talk about Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, David says, does Ronaldo leaving prove that him signing for Manchester United was a complete failure or is life more complicated than that? Uh, Lucian says, when it comes to the transfer palaver around Ronaldo, is Wilson holding back from saying with every fibre of his being, I told you so? Wilson, I didn't, I didn't know you'd had strong opinions about Cristiano Ronaldo. Well, yeah, there, there was some concern. Speaking of people finding stuff tedious, <laughs> here, we, here we go. Would, would I be able to come out with the same opinions on Cristiano Ronaldo four times in 24 hours? Yes. Have you not followed my career for the last year? Uh, look, he, he... If you don't... Of all the outfielders in the top five leagues in Europe, take out the centre-backs and bottom of the list for, for pressing last season... It's Cristiano Ronaldo. He does not press. He has never pressed in a 37. He absolutely now does not press. To then make him try and play in a team for Ralph Rangnick uh, or for Eric Ten Hag, both of them pressing coaches, is a nonsense. It will not work, and it cannot work. And I, I assume that Ten Hag has been very diplomatic in saying he, you know, he's looking forward to working with Ronaldo. He's probably delighted if he disappears, and it's not you know he doesn't have to be the one who pulls the trigger. He just sort of says, well, you know, he went, and this is what I was left with. Mark, if, sorry, Mark, if... If you 
Can you, at this level, now impress if you don't press? Uh, I think only if the team is structured in a way where actually the process, um, you know, isn't sort of the the be all. Um, so actually, for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, for instance, maybe you know just having that bit of magic in the penalty box might have actually worked. Um, and Carlo Ancelotti, I think, at, at Real Madrid is somebody that again just tries <laughs> to work with the players he's got and. Um, whereas somebody like Klopp or Guardiola and the, the guys that uh, Jonathan just mentioned, they are much more about process and system. And I don't think he can play for a team like that, which makes it very interesting when the team he's, uh, Ronaldo has been most strongly linked with is Chelsea. Yeah, that's a mad. Chelsea, if they Chelsea go for him, considering they've just shipped off Lukaku, it seems odd, Barry. And also could be funny. Uh, it would be funny and it'll... If he does rock up at Chelsea, which I, I would be astonished if he did, it will show where the power lies at, at Chelsea. I mean, Todd Bowley, there have been noises coming out of St- Stamford Bridge that Todd Bowley wants to give Thomas Tuchel more say in who comes in, more say in transfers. But if Ronaldo comes in, you'd imagine Tuchel wouldn't want him. Yeah, And yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. Like, Where does he go? Where Where does he fit? Well, I remember Bowley with you know in baseball in MLB with with um, LA Dodgers, he has a track record of bringing in celebrity players. But baseball is a very different sport to football. That in baseball, a great individual can make an enormous impact. Whereas football, at the very highest level, is about the multiplicatory effect of players on each other. It's about the system, about the team. More interesting the first time you told me that this morning, but still interesting, Wilson. I mean, I told you it last night if you've been listening. <laughs> I mean, I'll be, I'll be doing it again on stage. Don't worry, it's the only thing I've got to say. So I think United will find it really hard to ship him out. I mean, it, it's, the point Mark makes about Solskjaer, because Solskjaer doesn't really seem to have a defined philosophy, you could sort of say, well, he's somebody who could adapt to that. But all the successes Solskjaer had as a manager were playing, sitting deep, hitting on the break, playing with great pace. So you think of the three wins against City, you think of a win against PSG. That was how they played. You can't play like that if you've got this lamppost who happens to be very good at scoring goals up front. I, I would and say... You look that, at, yeah, but United's goals... Goal scored uh, the season before Ronaldo arrived, I think was 73, dropped to 56 last season. Even though Ronaldo got 18 of them, in total they dropped. Same at Juve, that it was 80-odd, then Ronaldo turns up in the next three seasons at 70-odd. So he, he makes you a less... Even though he himself is a great finisher and a great forward, he makes you generally a less efficient attacking force. And he doesn't press. I would say that the one thing I said, one of the things in Ronaldo's favour is, you know, Mendes, his agent, is... The reason he's so highly regarded in terms of what he can do is he he does have this way of you know working with teams to get his players where they need to be, and so he you know he may have a very important part to, to play in this. I would imagine. Um, I, I really, by the way, would like somebody to make a sort of meme or whatever it is of Jonathan Wilson calling Cristiano. Ronaldo a lamppost just and send it to the Ronaldo lovers on social media just for your for your mentions um, should we touch on Christian Eriksen going to Manchester United it's an interesting sort of statement of where it, it proves that Manchester United are but he is a brilliant footballer and he played very well last season at Brentford I'm not sure it is uh, an interesting statement of where Manchester United are because I think what you're you did earlier <laughs> <laughs> Because you're, you're insinuating that Manchester United are at a level where they're taking Brentford cast-offs. No, and but, I, no but Christian Eriksen is, he's not on the top table anymore, I would say. He's on table two, perhaps, or table three, I don't know. Depends how big your tables are. Is, is that the only way you define people? By wedding planning? <laughs> yes, that's the only way I define people. A, a wedding to which you didn't even invite Barry. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there was only one table, and Barry was not on it. So I rate Christian Eriksen higher as a footballer than Barry as a friend. You're right. Um... <laughs> Yeah, is is he not at the top table anymore? I mean, I know he he did have quite him dying was quite the hiccup in terms of career development. But he, luckily for all of us, came came back to life and you know emerged seemingly unscathed now from what could have been an absolutely disastrous, catastrophic situation. He's got his career back on track. At Brentford, they were they were good for him. He was good for them, and the the Christian Eriksen I saw playing for them last season was as good as any Christian Eriksen I can remember seeing pre 
uh, cardiac arrest. Mark? Yeah, I, I mean, I think in isolation, Ericsson, um, it is a, a very good signing. And had the rules been different in Italy, probably would have still been at Inter and you know you would have had to have paid a, a decent fee um, to, to have got him out of that contract. We know, you know he's well adapted playing in the Premier League, fantastic for Spurs and then for Brentford. It would just be really where he fits into that Manchester United team. They've already got, of course, Bruno Fernandes that plays in a pretty similar position. Now, you could play with both of them, um, but then you would need a really top-level defensive midfielder, which I don't think Manchester United have got yet. And um, without sort of dragging on Barry with the transfer speculation, but the, the one that where the rumour is most strong at the moment is for Frankie de Jong at Barca. And whenever I've seen him play for Barcelona, he's always been better when he plays further forward. And actually, you know, Barcelona released him and, you know, I think he was supposed to be the Busquets long-term replacement, but they kind of backtracked on that. And um, I wouldn't have thought that he could do that job on his own. So like a, I don't. Maybe at the moment it looks like Fred or McTominay with Eriksson and Fernandez in midfield would still leave them very vulnerable. I would say defensively. Uh, look, we touched a bit on on Chelsea. Sorry, Max. Yeah. Just before you move on to Chelsea, do you think it's a sort of reflection of where Manchester United are as a club right now that they haven't gone all out to get? Ethan Pinnock from Brentford. <laughs> Do you think they think he would consider a move to Old Trafford beneath him? It's a very good point. Um, we should talk about... That's uh, a new joke. That's good. Yeah. I've heard that one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't in the first one. In fact, I would say that this one we're recording right now is better than the one we did and maybe we should record well, two we, pods we, every time. We were time. all very hungover <laughs> several hours ago. <laughs> do you think that's why like, actors do a dress rehearsal and things? Yeah, but they don't do it on the day, do they? They do it like the day before. This is like we've had the matinee and now we're doing the evening show. And probably what we're relieved about is this is the last time we'll have to do this podcast. Unless, of course, they haven't pressed record again. It might not case. be. Like, <laughs> Richie Sadler on Second Captains famously had to do the same interview with Mick McCarthy three times. There's no fourth time, Lucky, yeah. McCarthy famously said. All right, let's go through the other big sides as well. We've sort of touched on Chelsea and Lukaku and maybe bringing in Ronaldo. They might bring in Raheem Sterling as well, which talk, tells us a bit about what Manchester City are doing as well. Would it be a... A, a good signing for Chelsea? I'm not sure, to be honest. I mean, I, I think it's it's interesting that City are willing to to get rid of him. I think it's it's interesting willing to get rid of Gabriel Jesus. He obviously has, has gone to Arsenal, uh, and I think both of them sort of fit in that category of being very good but not great. And and so you'd say Sterling will guarantee you you know a dozen goals a season, eight assists or so, which for most teams is is brilliant. You you know for somebody who's not an out and centre forward, that would be a great return. But I think the way City are looking at it, and you know, Gabriel Jesus is something similar, and you know, both of them clearly are very disciplined doing the pressing and everything. But I think the way City are looking at it is they score loads of goals in the Premier League anyway. Whether they score 90 goals, 100 goals, 110 goals in the Premier League isn't actually that important. What matters is do they score key goals in clutch situations in big European games? And you know, imagine Raheem Sterling or Gabriel Jesus running clean through in the last minute of the Bernabeu with a chance to put Manchester City in the Champions League final do you back them to score and I'd say there's a lot of players I'd probably back more and I think that's probably what the thinking is that they those are players who maybe have have reached the ceiling under Guardiola you know Sterling's been under Guardiola for, for six years it's unlikely he's going to absorb more of Guardiola's teaching to, to, to step up whereas you look at something like Grealish and think well okay the first season wasn't brilliant but it was okay and maybe a second year he will settle into into that role. He may yet have more to give. And I think City's thinking is now really conditioned by by those big games and making sure they they don't get mugged in Europe as they keep on being mugged. Mark, what do you make of Calvin Phillips? Uh, I, I think it's an okay, sort of solid signing um, for Manchester City. I don't envisage him playing a huge amount unless Rodri gets injured. Um, they, it does give them the option to play Rodri and, and Phillips together as a much more um, sort of solid unit if they so wish. But, I mean, I think that City are at their best when they've got Bernardo Silva and De Bruyne either side of Rodri. So, um, I, what I would say, though, is that it becomes important. I think the numbers game, in, in a, particularly with this World Cup, uh, being in the middle is going to be huge. And I think Guardiola's also looking at it, thinking he can, Phillips, even if he comes on 20 minutes, you've got the five substitutes. That is a, a good sub to be able to bring on to shut down a game, you know, if you need to maybe take 
Bernardo Silva off and, and just put that extra layer in there. I, I think he'll do a solid job. I don't think it makes them any more likely to win the Premier League than before he arrived. Um, but it's a big blow for Leeds, I would say, more than anything. Uh, Tartan Gunner says, is Arsenal signing of Gabriel Jesus just an innovative plan from the set-piece coach to have three Gabriels Gabriel, the centre-back, Martinelli and Jesus in the opposition box for every corner would be a nightmare to mark and could result in chaos for opposition defences. Bearded Genius did tweet, announce Rosalind, which was funny the first time we recorded this. Still quite a funny idea. Is that, is that, that seems like quite an Arsenal. Seems quite a good fit, Barry, for Arsenal. Gabriel Jesus? Yes, not Gabby Rosalind. <laughs> <laughs> Zig and zag as well. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm not sure where he's going to play. Will he be wide? Down the middle, surely. Central or down the middle. Because they don't have like well, a or it's, a place like that. But I think that's the key point, isn't it? That he apparently said to Chiche, the, the Brazil coach, after the World Cup in two thousand eighteen, that he didn't want to play through the middle, that he wasn't comfortable with that. Which for Brazil obviously creates a big problem because Neymar attacking from the left is is you know, the, the the focal point of their attack. Um and I, I don't know if that's to do with the the sort of stigma that the the, the, the Various Brazilian number nines have have suffered over the years, and maybe wanting to 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 deflect direct comparisons between him and Sergio Aguero at club level. Aguero clearly, you know, brilliant goal scorer, and, and Jesus is even if he's an effective centre forward, he's not that type of player, and you wouldn't want that direct comparison of look at Aguero's goals, look at look at his goals. But he he has now said he 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 envisages playing as a number nine for for Arsenal. But I think it will be as a number nine who, who drops off to create space for. Your Sackers, your Smith Rose, your Martinelli's coming in from wide. Does Richarlison play down the middle for Brazil? Yeah, that he, he does. Um, and I think he he does it very well. Um, he's has obviously added sort of pressure now, really, because of Vinicius Jr. coming, you know, really to, to the fore for Real Madrid. He's pushing for a spot on the left, which maybe has to move Neymar into the middle if you want to. And then that maybe knocks Richarlison out of, of that position. And why I think it's probably a risk for him moving to Tottenham where... Um, you would say on the form of Kulusevski, Son and Kane, he's, he's by no means guaranteed a start there. He'll get his minutes, but I think Gabriel... It's certainly not down the middle, right? Well, no, not no, Harry Kane plays plays when he wants, doesn't he? Um, I, I think, and that's one of the reasons I think Gabriel Jesus you know, went to Arsenal, wasn't it? To play every week as the centre forward to try to get himself back into that Brazil starting team. Um. Uh... We'll talk about Spurs then. I mean, Richarlison's an interesting signing in the sense, and you talked about this, Barry, that you don't really know if he was good at Everton or not. Yeah, when he signed for Everton from Watford, I think the fee was £40 million with £10 million add-ons. He spent several years there. And, and at the time of his signing, quite the, the debate raged on social media and we discussed in the podcast, was discussed in other podcasts, was... the. the this going to constitute value for money for Everton and he's had several seasons there and I'm still none the wiser even though he's now left for the same amount of money I think they paid for him the exact same fee Everton never regressed with him in the side I'm not saying that's his fault but they have um, they've spent shed load of money on various other players and got demonstrably worse season after season so was he a successful signing for Everton? I don't know. I don't, I'm, so I, I, I really have no idea. I raise him as a player, but he's not particularly prolific in goal scoring. Uh, he can drift in and out of games. He can, he can get a cob on and sort of sulk his way through long his periods. His defensive of game. stats are really good, though. So I, I don't know. I, the weird thing is, I, I sort of out of my head, he was a quite a stroppy player. But actually, on the pitch, he, he at least his strops. He works hard through them. He doesn't just sort of down tools. I think he is sort of, um, you know, yellow cards and red cards waiting to happen because because of the way he can blow his top. And I think off the pitch he, he occasionally drops, but his his defensive stats are, are way way better now than I thought they'd be. And I think that Everton would have got relegated without him um, last season. Um, so he seems. It's interesting you say, Barry. Yeah, when he went to Everton, everyone sort of laughed at that amount of money, and now everyone says this seems like a very shrewd signing. Is that just because Antonio Conte's made it, and he looks like he's Mark made a lot of very shrewd signings, which for a Spurs fan is weird. Yeah, I suppose you could sort of break that Richarlison one down into he's thirty million as a replacement winger and thirty million as the replacement centre forward for Kane, and he you know he'll get his minutes like Jota does for Liverpool, even if he's not um, you know a, a sort of first team starter. If there was a cup final um, on the horizon. 
I think that Tottenham signings have been been well thought out um, this summer for sure. I think it helps when you've got um, somebody like Antonio Conte that has a very defined way of playing. It's much easier to identify the talent um, because you know he he wanted a powerful uh, sort of wing back on that left hand side that would get into the box and score goals. And Perisic um, has done that previously for for Conte, but also um, you know was superb as well um, last season. For Inter, I know that he's sort of getting on a bit, but you saw Luka Modric running a Champions League final and you know, he's not sort of showing any signs of going backwards. Bissouma, I think, was exactly what they were missing in central midfield. Um, and, and you know, there's more to come um, as well, quite clearly, that they want Langley um, to come in and sort of boost the, the, the back and, and Spence as, as the right wing back. And, you know, I, I'm expecting big things from Tottenham, but also Christian Romero, who... I felt was one of the best defend by the end was one of the best defenders in the Premier League last season. I mean, I think he would you know fit in fantastically well at Liverpool or Manchester City. Um, and you know, I, I think that, that Tottenham will have a very strong season. The way that Chelsea are, are not quite moving as quickly as their fans would like, I think Spurs will fancy their chances of finishing third. I think the top two would prove beyond them. Um, we haven't talked about Liverpool at all, Wilson. Why haven't we done that? Well, I suppose because they got their business done early. You bring in Luis Diaz in January, and then uh, Darwin Nunez. You're right at the start of the of the summer. Not a lot to change since then. You bring in new players; it's always a risk. Mane was so key to them that that, that it could go wrong. But Nunez looked brilliant. So, uh, yeah, you can't be 100 percent sure that any transfer will will work. Everybody knew that forward line was becoming a problem because if you have three players turning 30 in the same year. Yeah, age and attrition is going to wear at least one of them down pretty soon. They they they've rejigged that and rejuvenated that. The fact that they've brought in Jota, who's a you know very solid option across all three roles, they they seem to have done it pretty well. So I think they're second favourites to City. There is a potential for it to go wrong, but I, th- I think they just essentially once they'd signed Nunez, they, they've that's it, isn't it? They've 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 done their work. And you can't argue against re-signing Salah, even if the salary is enormous, or can you? No, I, I I think it would have been a, a big risk to have lost both Mane and Salah in the same sort of transfer window. And I think that it is a, always a risk to give a player of that age the, the size of contract that Liverpool have because you never know when the regression you know will start and then how quickly you know you, you, that they do go backwards. And he's somebody that relies a lot on speed, but I don't see any reason why that would be any time soon and I, I think there's also enough credit in the bank from Sally. he didn't cost them a huge amount of money in the first place he's not been on astronomical wages um, previously so um, if they are having to overpay a little bit now at, at the end then I, I think that so be it and I would also say that Liverpool's decision making um, in the last sort of decade or certainly last five to ten years anyway has been you know, as good as anybody in world football. So if they're prepared to sort of, you know, give Salah that money and think that he's worth it, I think it would be pretty silly of me to, to disagree with them on that. All right, that'll do for part two. Part three is any other business. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks. You're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. And now Jono asked this question, what is your craziest prediction for the upcoming season? In the first take of this podcast, uh, Jonathan Wilson went with no goals to be scored <laughs> in the Premier League Boxing Day fixtures. Not entirely Barry went, true, Barry, Barry went for... When I say not entirely true, an absolute downright <laughs> fucking lie. <laughs> Barry went for Liverpool not to finish in the top four. <laughs> no, said... and, and Mark Langdon went controversially for... What, Brighton to finish 11th? Or no, that, that was my joke to start You've ruined it all. Oh, okay, carry on then. I said Brighton to finish 11th because that clearly is the most boring thing you can think of. Yes. I could think of. Oh, I didn't think it was a joke. Uh, well, it, it, it was. Okay. And it, and it remains so, but... It's... <laughs> 
And and then you know, I don't know where the conversation went from there, but we talked yeah, about the how the World conversation Cup went, was, was going to be a great randomizer. Yeah, that that was Barry said Liverpool wouldn't finish in the top four, and then we were trying to think of reasons why they might not finish in the top four, and then we said that maybe the World Cup would affect just all teams and just we bring can go a into randoms. the present tense now. I think it's uh, a good <laughs> idea. And then I I said. The, the, you, you said would it be like boxing in 1963 and I said more likely there'd be, there'd be fewer goals scored which you interpreted as meaning no goals at all mm-hmm. I then rationalised that to 18 goals to be scored in the 10 boxing day fixtures right and you just think you think because the World Cup finishes what when is it 21st of December it's, it's the week before boxing day oh, yeah. Yeah. so it's you just week. think but why do you think no goals will be scored because defenders will also be tired yeah, but if, if 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 everybody's tired, you go safety first, and also because they haven't trained together for yes five weeks, six weeks, whatever it is, they they'll just go safety first. This game, let's just get through it. That's not nothing daft, and and so it'll be a very tepid form of football. It's almost wishing away the start of the season and the World Cup just to get to Boxing Day, <laughs> and when there's forty six goals, just being so excited about it. Barry, what was your reasoning behind Liverpool not coming in the top four? Um. I just think they've had such an intense season uh, that they can't possibly keep up that level of uh, intensity intensity. (laughs) for another season. I think I think I saw a stat somewhere that it's like kind of every second season they they kind of it's like when they leave Glastonbury fallow for a year, you know, for to to regenerate, regrow. And it wasn't I think just Glastonbury, that was sort of crop rotation mm, in general, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I, th- I think they may struggle to, to finish in the top four just purely because fatigue will take its toll in, in a year where fatigue is going to take its toll on everyone, I think. Uh, Lucas says, apologies if, I, if I've missed it, but have you done the Socceroos qualifying? We did it for you, Max. Uh, yeah, the Socceroos qualified. They did that uh, uh, in the last minute of extra time. They brought on Andrew Redmayne. I don't know what you call him <laughs> first time. <laughs> Eddie, wasn't it? <laughs> no, I said James, who was someone in the year above me at university. He was quite a good footballer, but wasn't an Australian or a goalkeeper. And then I, um, I suggested Amanda, and you said, oh, no, it's Redmond, not, yeah. not Redmayne. Anyway. I mean, they're the larks we've missed. <laughs> Andrew Redmayne um, came on in the last minute of extra time and did some ultimate shithousery by the Peru goalkeeper had the uh, penalty takers on a bottle uh, on his wall. Where, where are they? Kick the ball, yeah. Where they kick the ball, not just not just their panini stickers, and he lobbed it over uh, over the hoardings. Um, but well done to Australia, through to the World Cup, and well done to Costa Rica as well, who got past the Kiwis, didn't they? In the other playoff, uh, Liam says, "Ask Jonathan how he thinks Sunderland will fare this season." Thirty thousand season tickets sold. Real optimism around the club again. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, mid table. I'd be amazed if they were really serious in the promotion picture. Uh, Ross Stewart probably going to go to Rangers still and he'll be a big loss 25 goals last season League 1 player of the year they're in talks with Jack Clark to make his deal from Tottenham permanent he, he finished the season really strongly Nathan Broadhead if they can you know, get get him for another season either on loan or make that permanent that would be a great signing had a lot of problems with injuries even last season but he's 24 now I don't know why an Everton player Everton quality player would want to hang around for another season why he wouldn't be just trying to get regular football so, I'd be, I'd be quite happy in mid table. I, I don't, I don't want the stress of relegation or promotion. They shouldn't get relegated. But I'd be amazed if they're close to promotion. The thing is, though, like, I, I'm not a huge fan of Alec Neil as a bloke, just because he was once rude to me at a press conference at Carrow Road when he was <laughs> no, Norwich manager. I don't hold a grudge. I'm, and, and I'm, yeah, I have a long memory. Sixteen games unbeaten at the end of the season, and that. What yeah. A <laughs> but he. He does seem to know what he's doing. I do think he's a good championship manager. And, I mean, Luton got to the playoffs last season and acquitted themselves quite well in the playoffs without getting promoted on, I think, the second lowest budget in the division. So I'm ridiculously optimistic and probably overly optimistic. Um, Mark, give us a, a European transfer that will interest people. I'm quite interested to see how Eddie Yemi does um, at Borussia Dortmund. Obviously, he was at Bayern Munich when he he was really young. Then he he eventually moved to Austria, scored goals for Salzburg, both in the Champions League and also 
um, in in the Austrian uh, Bundesliga as well. Got the move back to Germany uh, with Borussia Dortmund, who obviously have, have trodden that path before when Haaland made the, the similar journey. I, I don't think he's quite at that level, um, certainly not yet, but in a World Cup year, and it's obviously taking place in November and December, you know, there is an opportunity, I think, within that German national team to force your way firstly into the squad, and he's sort of in and around that at the moment, but there's there might be a vacancy actually as the centre forward in in that team and somebody like Eddie M if he can you know make a fast start at Borussia Dortmund you know could go well so that would be one I'd be interested in for sure. Um, all right, that'll do for uh, today. Uh, it is just want to say thanks to everybody who's come to the live shows, uh, the ones in Leeds, Birmingham, Manchester, uh, at Dublin last night. It, you know, it's quite gratifying. I mean, it's slightly ridiculous to be in a pub with, to see how many people love Barry. And it's sort of completely wild. But when people actually say, oh, look, you know, you've really helped us through lockdown or whatever. I, and uh, without getting too self-indulgent, which I appreciate this is self-indulgent, it's quite a nice thing, Barry. Yeah. It's particularly self-indulgent when it's the second time you've said it today. <laughs> look, I'm building up... The first to... time wasn't even the first recording. <laughs> it's <was at> breakfast. <laughs> look, I'm building up to a really lovely email that we've got okay. um, from Paul, uh, who isn't particularly well at the moment, but uh, hopefully will be okay. He says, hi, Max, Barry, and the Football Weekly family. My name's Paul. I live in Wicklow. Baz will know it. I've got tickets for the show tonight in Dublin, uh, but unfortunately I can't attend as I have surgery next week to remove a cancerous tumour from one of my kidneys and I can't risk picking up COVID before my surgery. Having cancer at 33 sucks. Luckily, mine's not very aggressive. Doctors expect a full recovery without any chemo, uh, which is great to hear. Uh, to say I'm disappointed not to be able to attend is a massive understatement. I've been a huge fan of the pod for almost 10 years now. You're a great support to me when I moved to Colorado in 2015. I mean, I didn't, didn't really think the pod was that good in, in 2015. That's a different point. Listening in every Monday felt like just sitting in the pub with my mates back home, talking through the rights and wrongs of every decision by players, managers and referees. You were an even greater help to me when I could continue to share something with my dad after I came out as gay at the age of 30 a few years ago. Football's always something we talk about, so being able to talk about the latest podcast uh, in those first few awkward months when he needed the comfort of knowing I was still his football mad son, even if I was gay, was truly an amazing support to me and him. I was delighted to hear about the live streaming of the Hackney show so I can at least have a semblance of what I'll be missing out on tonight in Dublin. Brackets, we all know Dublin will be more crack. It was pretty, you know. Cracky. It was cracky. Um, the, the, the difference is most of the audience are drunk by the end of the show in the other places, but they're drunk at the beginning of the show in Dublin. I think it's fair to say. Look, thank you for all the great content and discussion throughout the years. You and the wider Football Weekly family hold a very special place for me and I can assume... I can only assume many others uh, from Paul P.S. Once I've shithoused this cancer, I'll be first in line for my pint with you, Barry, and even uh, maybe even baby Ian. Guinness is good for babies, or so we say in Ireland. Uh, thank you, Paul. We all wish you all the best. Um, and uh, baby Ian did meet Uncle Barry at the weekend, and mm. you managed to avoid giving him a pint or a fag. So thank you. And he didn't uh, puke down my shoulder. No. And neither did he do a Munich in front of you <laughs> there we go anyway look, that'll do for today uh, we wish you all the best Paul um, and thank you to everyone who uh, emails in we, get a lot, we do get a lot of emails like that we can't read them all out but we would love to if we did it would get incredibly self-indulgent but we like reading them and feeling good about ourselves uh, but for the time being thank you Wilson cheers thank you thank you Mark thank you Matt thank you Barry I haven't felt good about myself in about <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> and uh, we'll be back on Thursday or we'll be back to record this pod again in about 25 minutes. Football Weekly was produced by Silas Gray with Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Danielle Steve. This is The Guardian. Thank you.